Hey friends, welcome to episode 115 of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Doris Swift. Thank you so much for stopping by today to take a listen to this very powerful and impactful episode. My guest today is Rachel Bruno, and you are going to want to hear her story. She just didn't live a nightmare. She lived a nightmare with layers and layers and layers. Her seven-week-old baby and toddler son were both seized by Child Protective Services when her newborn sustained critical cranial injuries while in the care of a nanny. And Rachel was innocent, never harmed her children at all, but she was accused of this terrible crime. And you just won't believe how this all unfolded. And we're talking about her book, Fractured Hope, A Mother's Fight for Justice. And friends, this is really such an important episode because you never know what's going to happen from one day to the next in our lives. And things can turn on a dime. But one thing is always true. God is faithful. And when we trust in him, he will see us through. And this story is not only about what happened to Rachel and all of the things in her family, but a story of God's redemption and restoration. So I know what Rachel has to share is going to encourage, inspire, and challenge you. So listen in while I have a chat with Rachel Bruno. But first, listen in to this message from Access More. Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. Welcome back to the Fierce Calling Podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome my friend, Rachel Bruno. She's wife to her wonderful husband of 19 years and a mom to two boys. Her seven-week-old baby and toddler were seized by Child Protective Services when her newborn sustained critical cranial injuries while in the care of a nanny. She was evicted from her own home and had to endure an arduous court case to prove her innocence. And her focus is to educate families and to be a voice for those who have been victimized by the unconstitutional vices of family court and child protective services. Through the pain of her experience, she came to the realization of her calling, her fierce calling, uh, to fearlessly proclaim the role of women in the family and the gift that comes with it. That's beautiful, Rachel. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Doris. Pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. It's such a joy. And as we were talking before the show began, uh, you were on my friend Michelle's podcast, Altered Stories. So Mm -hmm. y'all check that out. So Rachel, I would love if you would share more about your story and how you're taking action where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect, which I kind of shared a little bit already, but just a tidbit. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, you know, my son was critically injured in the care of his nanny and just a little background about myself. I have seizures. I have epilepsy and one of the main triggers are sleep deprivation or interrupted sleep. Mm -hmm. So my doctors told me, you know, you really should get some help, at least for the night shift so that you can get those eight hours of sleep. 
So that's why I had the nanny and she was watching him from 10 p.m. until 6 a.m. And this fateful day, I woke up to him screaming at about four o'clock in the morning. And I figured, okay, diaper change, feeding, something to that extent. And he would cry, then he would stop. Then he would start crying again, then he would stop. You know, this went on for about 30 minutes until I got up and I went into the room. She had him swaddled inside the crib, trying to shush him, trying to calm him down. Kid was not having it. You know, she picked him up, put him on like a shoulder position, like the burp position on her shoulder. And he stopped screaming. And I asked her, you know, anything happened? She showed me the empty bottle. And she said, I just fed him. He's really gassy. I said, okay, you know, fair enough. Babies get gassy. Six hours later, nonstop crying, would not nurse, would not nap. I could not put him down, just constantly crying. And I'm just kind of jaded, you know, because she told me he was called, um, he was gassy. So I'm colic, nursing strike, you know, anything I could think of, but it was not going away. So I called the doctor and I said, you know, I need to see somebody like we won't be able to see him till three o'clock this afternoon. I said, he's been screaming since four o'clock this morning. He's not eating. He's not sleeping. I need to see somebody mm-hmm. like, okay, then take him to the emergency room. So I call my mom to stay with my oldest. At that point, he was 20 months old. We all hopped in the car. My husband was out of state on a business trip, get to the hospital. What do babies do in the car? Sleep. Mm-hmm. He was sleeping, seemed completely fine. And I'm like, great, no overreactive mom here at the emergency room. But the doctor did send me you know, to the back room right away. And he asked me what the symptoms were. And then he starts walking away. And I'm thinking, okay, going to tell me, give the kid Benadryl and go home. <laughs> but he stops right there at the doorway, about 10 feet away. And he is just laser focused on my son, just staring at him. The whole room is quiet. I'm like, this is weird. And about 30 seconds to a minute go by, he starts walking back towards the bed. And he goes right to my son's head, right behind his ear. Mm-hmm. Like, did you feel this? said no so he put my thumb there my fingers there he's like did you do you feel that bulge I'm like yeah he says that's fluid that's leaking from his brain mm-hmm. I'm like okay what does that mean like it could be spinal cerebral fluid it can be blood we need to go do a CT scan right now see what's going on and as soon as he says that about 10 people rush into that room they start placing probes on him you know on his head they raise up the rails and they bolt down that hallway to the CT room And I'm in shock. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And as we're going down that hallway, his right arm starts twitching. And those nurses really start running. I look at the nurse, I'm like, is this normal? She says no. And then I'm like, oh, left side of the brain, right arm twitching. He's having a seizure, right? And first thing that comes to my mind is, oh my God, it's hereditary, it's genetic. I gave it to my son. Say a little prayer right there. Like, Lord, please spare my son from having to live with this like I did get there. Doctors tell me to wait outside. I tell my mom, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Start texting everybody. And we're waiting for the results. The doctors come back and they tell me, Miss Bruno, this is very serious. Okay. Like your son has a cranial fracture and an intracerebral blood hemorrhage. So the fluid that's leaking is blood. The brain hates blood. We need to go do emergency surgery right now. See if we can drain the blood and fix the fracture. And they're handing me the liabilities. Are you against blood transfusions? I'm like, I don't care what you do to save my son, save my son. So off they go, wheeling my seven-week-old baby into the operating room for brain surgery. And again, I'm still in shock. I'm like, what is going on? I went from gassy baby to now my son is in brain surgery. Four hours go by, doctors come back. You know, surgery went well clinically as far as we were concerned, able to drain the blood, fix the fracture. 
My first question, is it going to be okay? Is it going to be brain damaged? And the doctor said, we really don't know. You know, due to his young age, we don't even know whether he's going to survive the next 48 hours. We have him in a medically induced coma due to all the seizures he started having post-surgery, but we're monitoring him. He's stable. I can take you upstairs to go see. And I go upstairs. You know, if you've ever been in these intensive care units, these glass rooms, very somber, the machines beeping. And I walk in there, see my seemingly, you know, lifeless son, just gauze wrapped all around his head, tubes coming out of every orifice you can imagine, the machines going off. And I just hold his little hand. And I remember praying. I said, God, I don't care if I have to dedicate the rest of my life to taking care of my son, I will. Just don't take him away from me. And I felt the Holy Spirit at that moment tell me he's mine. I gave him to you. Nobody's going to take him away from you. I said, you're right, Lord. He is yours. I had to surrender my son's life to God at that point. That There's no better place for him to be than in your hands. So I took a breath. The peace that surpasses all understanding at that point. My mom was there, my 20-month-old son bouncing off the walls. So I go into logistics mode, right? I'm obviously not leaving the hospital. Call my friend to take my mom home, and my son would be spending the night at her house. My husband is still on his business trip on his way back to California from West Virginia, texting him, telling him what's going on. And next thing I I hear a knock on the door, and it's a man in a uniform, a khaki uniform, woman with a clipboard. They slide the door open. They say, Miss Bruno, can we speak to you? I said, sure. I threw my head. I'm like, weird. What is a police officer doing here? Mm-hmm. But first words out of his mouth is what happened to your son was worse than getting struck in the head by a bullet. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. He's like, we want to help you. Will you help us figure out how this happened to your son? So in my head, I'm like, okay, bullet to the head. I'm like, you insinuating this woman tried to kill my son? And if you're asking me for help, you obviously don't think it was me. So I sit down with him and the social worker, tell them the whole saga from four o'clock in the morning. It's now close to 830 at night at the hospital. And he just probing questions, you know, why didn't you call 911? Because I didn't know what was wrong with him. She told me he was gassy. Why did you wait so long to bring him to the emergency room? Because again, I thought he was gassy. Like, why did you bring him to hospital in Orange County when you live in L.A. County? Like, this is the children's hospital that I know. He's just jotting things down. Social worker, do you have any other children? I do. What are their names? Where are they? Tell her. Like, is it okay if we go see him? Like, at this point, 9 o'clock, 9.30, said, yeah, he's probably asleep by now. She said, we're not going to wake him. We just want to make sure he's okay. So, again, me thinking I have nothing to hide. These people are here to help me. Call my mom. Social worker leaves at that point. I'm assuming she's going to go to my mom's house. Police officer asks me to wait for the detectives that are on their way. Okay, yeah, I'll talk to the detectives. My husband comes straight from the airport to the hospital. Police officer immediately takes him to another room to go talk to him, puts me in another room, closes the door, tells me to wait for the detectives. The detectives show up at around midnight, and they interview me till about 2 o'clock in the morning. So I've been up since four in the morning. It's now two o'clock in the morning, almost 24 hours. And I tell them, you know, I really need to go to sleep. I will more, be more than glad to continue this after I wake up. And they were very nice, gave me their business cards. I went to sleep, wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning. And my husband is just staring at me, this blank stare on his face. And my first instinct is to look at the baby. 
like he's there, he's alive, what's going on? And he tells me they took David. David is my 20 month old son. I'm like, what do you mean they took David? Where? Who? How? They, they lied to me, said they weren't even going to wake him up. I said, well, they showed up at your mom's house with three police cars and they took David. And I'm like, okay. And they're not answering their phones. We don't know where he is. We don't know where they took him. I call my mom and my poor mom, you know, still in shock. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what happened? They came in here, opened the refrigerators, walked through the house, see if we had food, see if everything was safe, asked me where David was. I showed her, turned on the light, woke him up, asked me to undress him. I did. She looked over him. There were no scars, no bruises, no nothing. And then she tells me they're taking him. And I said, no, you're not. And she says, if you don't give him to us, we're going to arrest you. Three cops there. Nobody says anything. My mom is waiting for somebody to intervene and they don't. My son is getting kind of antsy, noticing all the chaos. The social worker's on the phone saying she's calling for backup. Ma'am, we really have to do this. My stepdad is on the phone at two o'clock in the morning calling lawyers. Nobody's answering their phone. So my mom gave my son to the social worker. He's kicking and screaming, won't go in the car. My mom had to strap him in. And off they go in the middle of the night. And it's now the next day. We don't know where he is. My husband keeps calling them. I decide to call lawyers. I had to call about 10 different lawyers until I found one that would take my case. And he told me, you have no idea what you're in for. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't do this. He's like, I believe you. doesn't matter. I'm like, I mean, it doesn't matter. What happened to innocent till proven guilty? What happened constitution? What about the nanny? He said, this is family court. They don't follow constitutional law. Wow. (laughs) And I'm like, what other law is there? (laughs) And he said, they can do whatever they deem is in the best interest of the child. Mm. I'm like, okay. And he said, what happened to your son is criminal. You are facing 15 years in jail, $100,000 bail if they decide to charge you. I'm like, I didn't do this. He's like, I believe you. It doesn't matter. Like if I go into that courtroom and I ask the judge to give the children back to you, social services is going to pull this up and he pulls up the criminal investigation Mm. and they're going to tell the judge, your honor, this woman is facing criminal charges or is under criminal investigation. You are placing the children at risk by giving them back to her. And if that happens, they're going to go to foster care, in which case they are under two years old and nonverbal. They can be legally adopted by the foster family if the case lasts longer than six months. And they will make it last longer than six months. And I'm just I'm like, what jail adoption? Uh, what what country am I living in? What are you talking about? And he said, your saving grace is that your husband was out of state when this happened. So legally speaking, he wasn't even at the crime scene. We're going to ask the judge to give sole custody to your husband. That way they don't even risk going into foster care. But if that happens, if the judge grants that, they're going to kick you out of the house. So at that point, what choice did I have, right? Go into that courtroom and fight for my non-existent rights, apparently, (laughs) and risk having my children placed in foster care or have them with their father and you do whatever you want to me. So that's what happened. Three days later, 72 hours later, they kicked me out of the house. The judge tells me you have 24 hours to vacate your home. You are court ordered to take child abuse classes, parenting classes, and individual counseling and a caseworker will be contacting you regarding visitation. 
Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. Three days later, 72 hours later, they kicked me out of the house. The judge tells me you have 24 hours to vacate your home. You are court ordered to take child abuse classes, parenting classes, and individual counseling. And a caseworker will be contacting you regarding visitation. Court is adjourned. So within 15 minutes, my home was taken. My husband was taken. My children were taken. I had nothing. I had nothing but God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Nothing but God. And, you know, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. My grandpa was a pastor. And you hear these Bible verses your whole life, right? My grace is enough. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, I shall not want, do not fear, you know, and, but are they really, you know, you grow up kind of thinking, you know, would I really be able to endure on his grace? <laughs> and I had to live that at that moment. You know, I had nothing to cling to except those words. <laughs> yeah. I, it was just so powerful when you were explaining all of that. First of all, it's just, there's just so many layers of nightmare in this story, it just like, it isn't just like a, a nightmare. It's, it's like layers and layers of nightmare coming, you know, forth. And, you know, and even the person who you're entrusting your, of course, you're entrusting everything in God's hands, which is the most important thing. And then this person that is representing you legally He's telling you straight, you know, this is like, this is how it is. And he didn't sugarcoat any of it. And it's just so crazy because there's so many stories where children are able to stay in a family who are actually abusing them and they wind up dying. It's just such a tragic thing. But I love how you were talking about when you saw your son after surgery and you held his hand and you surrendered fully. That was so key, you know, even with all the things happening after that, which you had no idea what was coming down the pike, but God did. So that's what's so encouraging for us. So then what happened after that, Rachel? So after I was evicted from my home, um, you know, court ordered to take all these services, going to the child abuse classes and the visitation, they gave me seven hours of monitored visitation with both my sons. And on the 40th day, we had a hearing. So it had been 40 days and 40 nights that I had been kicked out of my home. Mm -hmm. And my attorney told me, you know, your case is still open. The criminal investigation hasn't changed. So don't waste your time. I won't waste mine. Nothing's going to happen today. And I tell my husband and my husband says, I don't care what he's saying. We're gone. So I'm like, fine. <laughs> you know, we go to the courthouse mm -hmm. and I'm waiting there in the hallway. About two hours go by. My attorney calls me. He says, where are you? Like I'm at the courthouse. I'm like, okay, on my way. Might be able to do something today and hangs up on me. Okay. So we start texting everybody. I don't know what's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Start praying. And at this point I had a church in Brazil, a congregation in Brazil of about 5,000 people. The pastor knew my dad and he told the whole congregation to stand up about 5,000 people and point your hands towards the North, North America. We are going to pray for this family. And they had been fasting for these 40 days. Wow. It is now the 40th day. It's like Esther. <laughs> <And> we are. <laughs> yep. And we are there. And I'm like, okay, everybody start praying. So my attorney comes down the hallway. I go hug him. He's like, don't hug me. I can't make you any promises. 
I'm like, okay. <laughs> he goes into the courtroom and comes back out, initial this, sign this, in and out, in and out. I don't even know what I'm signing, what I'm initialing. I'm just trusting God at this point. Mm-hmm. And about three hours go by. He comes back outside with a stack of papers, about 700 pages. He's like, okay, here's the deal. If you're willing to sign this document the way it's written, they will let you go home today. There's nothing in here admitting guilt. There's nothing in here saying that you did this. Just a social worker's narrative, the police reports, the medical records, all that stuff. They will let you go home. At this point, if they told me to cut off my leg, I would have done it. (laughs) I just wanted to be home with my children, with my son. And he told me, I've been doing this for 23 years. I have never seen them let anybody go home before trial. Like you definitely have a higher power working for you. Wow, <laughs> yes, amazing. I do. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Intervention. Well, I went divine. home that day. Yeah. So I went home that day. The case remained open for six months where social services would come to our house monthly. And at the end of the six months, it was her recommendation that the case be closed. The criminal case stayed open for about a year, mm-hmm. later thrown out for lack of evidence. But I just had a fire up my butt, you know, from this whole thing. <laughs> And the injustice that I witnessed, you know, in those child abuse classes, I was thinking I was going to be in there with a bunch of drug addicts, alcoholics, tattooed, pierced up, crazy people, <laughs> nothing against tattoos. Right. But, you know, when I get there, you know, everybody was in the same boat that I was like, nobody had intentionally abused their child. There were playground accidents. There were bathtub slippages. There were disgruntled exes. I mean, just crazy stories. Mm-hmm. And like the facilitators even knew a lot of these stories and saw them repeat themselves. They, they could complete my sentences. They knew who the doctor was. They knew who the judge was. They knew who the social worker was. They knew who the caseworker was. I'm like, what? Like, this is normal. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, this happens all the time. And I remember, you know, when I was evicted from my house, somebody really close to me called me one day and they said, Rachel, one word keeps coming to my to my head and it's repent. Like, okay. And it kind of felt like Job at that moment. Are you saying I should repent that I did something to deserve this? But, you know, I knew this person, I knew they meant well, and I just took it to God later that night. And I prayed, I said, okay, God, who sinned? (laughs) And the Holy Spirit, again, you know, interceding on my behalf and just told me nothing, my daughter. This is just the evil world we live in, the broken world we live in. What you are witnessing right now is about the destruction of the family. Mm-hmm. which is what Satan has been trying to do from the day I created it. Mm-hmm. What you are suffering right now is not in vain. I will use your story. You will help families. Fear not. I've already taken care of your children. I've taken care of your home. It's going to be for a short period of time. So I'm like, okay, you know, it's true. Cain and Abel, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, from the very first family, it was <laughs> destruction. For sure. Yeah. That's where the enemy is attacking you know, Always, families you know, and identity today, and mm-hmm. it's crazy what's going on today. For sure. And from that prayer, like my perspective completely shifted mm-hmm. the entire case, the entire journey that I was going through. I went from, you know, why me to why not me mm-hmm. when Jesus went through all this. And I know Jesus, I have hope. I have a family. I have this incredible support system around me. What about all these other parents that don't, yeah. that are in this child abuse class with me who don't have hope? who don't know God. I'm like, how do you go through this without knowing God? Yeah. And, you know, you had no idea just as we don't, if we haven't gone through something like that, what is happening? 
because yeah. nobody's reporting those things at all. And God had you in that class, you yeah. know, so you could see the truth of what was going on. And like you said, it lit a fire in you because it's like where you take action, where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. And when God rescued you from that, I mean, it was so traumatic for your family. You know, I can't imagine what it was like for you or your husband or your mom or even, you know, your son. And, um, you know, so, and then, the, and then your other son going through all of this, did, did he come out of it um, well? And how is he doing? Yeah. My 20 month old son, you know, after the case was closed, we decided to sue them. Mm. I contacted a civil rights attorney and we decided to sue them and we filed the petition. And once we got the court case going, we were able to get the juvenile records, mm. which are usually sealed until they're 18 years old. You know, you don't have access to them until they're 18 years old, but because we were suing them, we got them. And that was a whole other level of heartbreak was reading these reports and seeing what they did to David, to my 20 month old son. When they seized him from my mom's house, they took him to the County children's shelter where he spent 48 hours with strangers. And during those 48 hours, they gave my son 13 vaccinations without our consent, without a court order, without a warrant. They seized him without a warrant. Mm -hmm. They forced him through a full skeletal survey which is basically an image of every bone in your body. Mm-hmm. Now he's not even two years old. You know, he would not lay still. He was screaming. He was crying. Yeah. They had to tie him down to take the images. They gave him an anal wink test, which is a probe oh. of the child's anus to see how it contracts, mm-hmm. to see if there were any sexual abuse when there wasn't even any allegations of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my God, you know, my son, you know, I wasn't there to protect him. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I can't explain what I was feeling. Just so many emotions as I was feeling yeah. and his reaction, you know, to me, he rejected me for about a year. Like, I don't want you mommy get away from me. I want to be with my grandma because my mom is the one who picked him up from the shelter. No, they wouldn't release him to me or to my husband. They released him to my mom. Mm. So in his mind, you know, my mom is the one who rescued him. I abandoned him. And he was pinching himself, biting himself. I mean, he was a completely different child. Mm -hmm. And I remember one day giving him a bath. He was fighting with me, didn't want me in there. And I just broke down. You know, I had to go to the other bathroom. I just started crying and praying. I'm like, God, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. You know, I know he's the victim. He's three years old, but I'm building a wall against my three-year-old son, Mm -hmm. right? The words hurt and he's the victim. I'm the victim too. Like I didn't do this. I didn't choose this. I did nothing to deserve this. Right. But the Holy spirit, you know, you are not a victim in this. You are victorious in this. You put on your big girl panties. (laughs) You're the adult in the situation and you go talk to him. Mm. And I'm like, he's three years old. He's not going to understand this. Like, yeah, he will go. So went, got my son, put him on my lap. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, do you remember when your aunties had to come take care of you? First words out of his mouth. Why did you leave? Wow. I'm like, okay. So he knows I grabbed my phone. I had all the pictures of his brother and I showed him, I'm like, this is what happened to, to Lupus. And they thought that mommy did this. And he looked at me like, you never heard us mommy. Mm -hmm. I know. I know, but they thought that mommy did this to him and that if I was going to do it to him, I was going to do it to you. And they just made really bad choices, David. We had some people make some really bad choices. 
are they in jail, mommy? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I don't know, David, (laughs) but we have to forgive them. You know, we have to forgive the nanny. We have to forgive the police officers, the detectives, the doctors, the social workers. We have to forgive them. Mm -hmm. Jesus forgave us. So we forgive them. But even if we forgive them, we're not going to let them get away with it. We're yeah. going to fight. Yeah. God is a God of justice. You yeah. know, he is yeah. a God of mercy. He's a God mm-hmm. of grace, but he's also God of justice. So yeah. what a good yeah. lesson. And I said that. He said, you're going to hit them, mommy. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, we're going to hit them with a pile of papers. <laughs> mm, wow. I just love that. You know how you were so in tune and open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, because had that not happened, that seems like such a turning point in the relationship with you and your son who was taken from your mom's home. How traumatic, but for him to be able to see the light, because he had already created his own story in his mind of what was happening, which wasn't true because of what people have done, had done to him. And so I love how the Holy Spirit said, you are not a victim in this. You are victorious. Put your big girl pennies on and go go back and talk to You're the parent. Talk to them. Wow. That is so amazing. I love that so much. Yeah. So it was a complete turning point. It was a complete 180 from that point on, Mm -hmm. you know, and today he's eight years old. My baby is now seven years old. Mm -hmm no brain damage, first grade thriving. Both of them are thriving. You know, God restored everything. Those focus tried to destroy. (laughs) Praise God. Yeah. It is just such the epitome of the Romans 828 that he works all things together for good. And now you're using what happened in your experience to be able to help others in this walk, in this struggle. You've been there, you understand where they're at. And so I'm sure that it is a comfort to them to know that you are not only an advocate, but you're like an activist for this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I've spoken to so many moms, Mm -hmm. you know, and I tell them, I'm like, I am no better than you, right? I mean, I, I can't explain legally, you know, logically what I did to get my children back. It was by the grace of God, strictly by the grace of God. And I will pray for you, you know, pray for your family, just like I had surrender my son's life. They're all God's children. They're all his. And he loves them more than you, if you can imagine that. So, you know, give your children to God. Mm, What an opening for you to share the grace of God with others. You know, what a divine appointment each and every time that you're able to speak the truth of how you got through it, because there isn't a formula or an easy answer. And it has to all be God. And it isn't like, well, as long as you have this particular lawyer and as long as you get this judge, as long, you know, it's not anything like that. It's just all by God's uh, control and yeah. surrender is so key. And you yeah. just, you're sharing that truth with others. So I know the listeners are going, what about the nanny? At what point did they even go and see her? Did they believe she even existed? Like, what is, what is the deal with that? Yeah. So after they had already seized both my children, Mm -hmm. they did go speak to the nanny. And, you know, in that court report that I received at the hearing, the three days later, they had spoken to her. It's in the court report that her one-year-old daughter had a bruise under her eye when they went to go speak to her. Mm -hmm. And social worker asked her, you know, why does your daughter have a bruise? She said she rolled off the bed when she was sleeping. Mm -hmm. And they asked her, 
how was the baby when you left the Bruno residence? And she's like, the baby was perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. And that's just it. They believed her. They didn't believe me. (laughs) Uh Yeah, it's just such a picture of the enemy, like twisting things Mm -hmm. and blinding people to what's really going on in the truth. And, you know, and it, it is so alarming, too, that so many that abuse children will pass a background check because nobody's ever convicted them of anything so you can have someone like that that looks perfectly clean record you know nothing there and uh you know and then things can happen in an instant volunteer at the church nursery not the church that i attended but at another church Mm. i said she did pass her background check Mm -hmm. she was married her husband was in the marines i mean there was nothing but unfortunately there's no test for character (laughs) and how are you doing now with your health I'm good. You know, my seizures have been under control for at least 10 years now, Mm. you know, but I do take care of my sleep. That's the number one thing. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I'm good with that. Thank God. And, you know, I wrote a book about this finally seven years in the making. I got my book published just this year. Yeah. Tell us about that. And my book is called Fractured Hope, Mother's Fight for Justice. It's on Amazon or, you know, anywhere you buy your books online. Mm -hmm. And this book is more about my faith journey, you know, through this through this episode. I mean, everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly are in this book. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And just getting to know Jesus, you know, just little epiphanies, little things that happened mm-hmm. that you could see that I know were God. Mm-hmm. Right. And like being in the car, going to the hospital every day, hearing the same song play every day. Like I didn't put that song on. It was just on every day. And I remember picking up my iPod. I'm like, is this thing broken? What is wrong with this thing? <laughs> broken record. <laughs> right. People remember records. And, and I'm like, no, you know, it's fine. So actually listen to the lyrics and it's called All I Once Held Dear. Mm. And the lyrics, All I Once Held Dear, built my life upon all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I now count as loss compared to this, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. There is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. And I remember hearing that song. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it. <gasps> that This is it. <laughs> like, this is why this is happening, right? And this is what's going on. This is what I'm supposed to learn from this. Mm. It's about knowing Jesus. <laughs> precious. That was like your prayer right there, you know, yep. <laughs> that God just gave you. <laughs> yep. You know, it's just like when... The um, disciples were like, teach us how to pray, Jesus, you know, yeah. and, he taught them. and then it's like, here, Rachel, here, here you go. Yeah. Here is yeah. this song that I'm going to keep playing over and over yeah, and over. You listen. It's funny how yeah. we don't catch stuff right away, right? We're like, yeah. hey, okay, okay. That, that's for me. That's God talking to me. So yeah. uh, I love mm-hmm. that so much. And this is just such a powerful story of redemption, you know, and restoration, And God is a a God of restoration and he refreshes our lives from the ashes come beauty and things that we can use for his glory in that. And it's just so amazing to have this story that you have been given that boldness from the Holy Spirit to tell it, because I'm sure there's a lot of people that want to come against when you speak out against authorities, you know, who are not really doing what they're supposed to do. And this unconstitutional thing is just, it it just makes no sense, but it's not a surprise to us, right? (laughs) When things don't make sense, 
follow the money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they offered my mom $680 a month per child if she would adopt them. Oh, wow. Yeah. So before I even had a hearing, those 72 hours while we were waiting for the emergency hearing, mm -hmm. they asked my mom if she would adopt my children. And my mom is like, no, give them back to their mom. <laughs> they belong. Yeah, let, let's put this in the right order. You know, God is a God of order too. It's like kids belong with their right. parents, you know, right. when, when they are God-fearing parents. social workers said, you know, this is how we help the families. And I'm thinking, you know, like my mom told her, like, I don't need your money. I don't want your money. Mm -hmm. And the social worker, this is how we help the families. And I'm thinking, what if I was a single mother? Right. What if I was working three jobs? What if, you know, I did need help mm -hmm. in this sort of sense, mm -hmm. yet they qualify that as neglect. Yeah. Right. Why don't you give me the $680 a month as right. the mother yeah. to keep my family together, right. And offer those type of resources mm -hmm. to keep the family together. Yeah. Because the trauma that is created, you know, from tearing these families apart, mm -hmm. it's huge. Yeah. Mean, the trauma is with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, yeah. and most of these children who grow up in foster care outgrow the system, like 87% of them are victims of human trafficking, sex trafficking, mm -hmm. drugs, you know, prostitution, you name it. Mm -hmm. And because they got everything ripped out from underneath them, right? They're trying to find their identity. They're trying to figure out why, mm -hmm. and there are no answers. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's really sad. It's really sad. And they're so vulnerable because they feel like they've been abandoned and they struggle yeah. with that. And so anywhere they feel like someone cares or pays attention to them or where they can feel like they belong somewhere, yeah is yeah. an open door for the enemy to use for these Absolutely. um evil you know evil in the world yeah. which they say you know we don't struggle against flesh and blood it's principalities and yeah. powers and so there's definitely that factor and so when we think about these things happening every single day it's yeah. just it's mind-blowing because you know we might have of course, difficult struggles in our own lives, for sure. Yeah. Even Jesus said we would have trouble in this world because this world yeah. is not the world that we were really created to live in. This right. is this is a sin sinful world, you know. It's uh, it's yeah. a fallen world. Uh, however, we have still been able to be reconciled with yeah. God, yeah. our Father, through Jesus. Through Jesus, so and like powerful. you said, you know that word that surrender yeah. is so important. Yeah, we can't control things. <laughs> for sure. And I love that you have a book about this because what a great book to just, you know, for anyone to read, but also to use as a resource and a yes. tool and to be able to give to others, you know, gift it to other people or even bring it into places where these things are so prevalent, you know, yeah. and are mm -hmm. happening. This has been so amazing, Rachel. Can you tell us where the listener can connect with you and find more information about these things and grab your book? Absolutely. So I have my website, www.rachelbruno.com. Mm -hmm. As I said, my book is available on Amazon. It's called Fractured Hope, A Mother's Fight for Justice. Mm -hmm. I'm on Instagram at Rachel Bruno Speaks. I'm on Facebook at Rachel Bruno Speaks. And you can email me directly through my website. I'm more than happy, you know, to talk to you. If any mothers are out there going through this, please feel free to call me. Wonderful. God bless you. And just it's such a great thing too about how your marriage stayed together. Cause I imagine this kind of a stressful thing causes a lot of divorces, you know, with, uh, 
what's going on here? You know, what is happening with our kids and our life is falling apart, you know, and that's when the struggles happen. Absolutely. I mean, I had a caseworker, right. Who was with me. My husband had another caseworker who would go visit the house Mm -hmm. and they would tell us conflicting information. Mm -hmm. Right. So my Mm -hmm. caseworker would say something and the social worker would tell my dad or my husband that my wife, his wife could fill out forms. So, and so to do this, to do that. Mm -hmm. And then my husband would come telling me, then I would go tell my lawyer and my lawyer's like, no, you don't listen to them. Like, my lawyer was a bully, which you need to be in the system. Mm -hmm. And he just told me, he's like, nobody here is your friend. Okay. These people are not your friend. Mm -hmm. The only person who is your friend here is me. And that's only because you paid me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was wisdom. (laughs) Wisdom from the Lord. It doesn't even have to be, you know, a um, believer as somebody representing you or because God can use anybody in this role. He, cause he's used countless people who did not even believe in him to do his work for his kids, you know, for his children. So my husband would be mad at me because my lawyer would say this and I'm like, I'm no. Mm -hmm. Right. And he was stressed out being at home with the kids. And then I'm not seeing the kids. Mm -hmm. So he would come, you know, and say, David is, is reacting. He's not sleeping. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. And I'm like, well, duh, of course he's not. (laughs) And, you know, I'm like, you want to trade places? Yeah. You know, you could be kicked out of the house and be under criminal investigation and doing all this. I'll go home and take care of the kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. yes, there was definitely <laughs> struggles in our marriage yeah. and just hurt. You know, we went to counseling and our counselor described it once like, you know, imagine a wife is in the kitchen cooking and then a pot of boiling water burns her hands with the boiling water. Mm-hmm. She starts screaming. Her husband is outside cutting the trees. Then he cuts his, his hand off with the, the cutter while he's cutting the trees. He comes in with a bloody hand. She has her hand yeah. with boiling water. And both of you are in so much pain mm-hmm. that you can't see each other's pain. Yeah. So yeah, it was, but God is good, you know, and we knew that our commitment was not only to each other, but to God. Mm-hmm. Praise God for that. For the whole thing, because, yeah, there was just so much going on to cause division and it within, like you said, the whole family unit, not just yeah. taking the kids, not, I mean, and I don't mean that lightly, but, right. you know, it had to do with all of that. So, right. yeah. um, so yeah, so glory to God. And, and yeah. I am going to make sure to put the links in the show notes for where the listener can connect with you. And God bless you and your ministry. And, you know, and I hope more listeners, they might know where it might be a good place for you to speak, come and speak so they can reach out to you on your website about that. So thank you so much for being on the show, Rachel. It's been really, really amazing um, and powerful to hear your story and your testimony. Like they say, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So praise God that he is using you in great and mighty ways and in this fierce calling that he's given you friend. So, and I hope to have you on again sometime. Awesome. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. God bless you. And we will talk soon. Thank you so much for listening. And that episode was just so powerful and a reminder that God is with us and he sees our situation and our circumstance and we cannot trust our own eyes or what we 
can conceive in our own minds. I mean, we have the mind of Christ, but still, God is going to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask, what we think. We have no idea what's going to happen. And so trusting God in faith is so key. And things may not always turn out like we would hope, but we can always trust that God is good and that he has our best interest in mind as his kids. And I love some of the quotes from the show, like when Rachel was sharing how her and her husband started just texting everybody and said in the text, I don't know what's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Start praying. And that just reminded me so much of Esther calling for a fast from her people there. And she also said the Holy Spirit just spoke to her spirit and said, you are not a victim in this. You are victorious in this. And also how God restored everything those locusts tried to destroy. Friend, God is for us and who could be against us. So I hope you'll join me next time when I talk with another woman who's taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friends, have a blessed week, and I'll talk to you soon.